Romans chapter 8. This morning, the book of Romans, and make your way to the 8th chapter, if you would please. Several years ago, a student at Eagle Rock Junior High won first place at the Greater Idaho Falls Science Fair with a survey. It was a scientific survey that he conducted in his project. He urged people to sign a petition demanding strict control or total elimination of a chemical known as dihydrogen monoxide. And he did so based on a list of things which included, number one, it can cause excessive sweating and vomiting. Number two, it is a major component of acid rain. Number three, it can, it can cause severe burns in its gaseous state. Number four, accidental inhalation can kill you. Number five, it contributes to erosion. Number six, it decreases the effectiveness of automobile brakes. And number seven, it has been found in tumors of terminal cancer patients. And so this student asked 50 people if they would support a ban on this particular chemical. 46 people said yes, six people were undecided, and only one knew that the chemical is really nothing but water. Two molecules of hydrogen, one of oxygen. And I'm guessing to that one person who knew that, the student's question was silly because he already knew the answer. 46 people didn't have a clue that the kid was talking about water. Six of them, well, I don't know if it should be banned or not. This one guy, he understood this is water that this kid's talking about, people. It's really not dangerous. Now, granted, it is a major component in acid rain. It's like the rain? And in its gaseous state, steam, it can be harmful. And if you accidentally inhale it, you can die by drowning. So all of those statements were true. And if you didn't know any better, you might be afraid of dihydrogen monoxide. You might ask for this chemical to be eliminated or at least controlled. You might actually become afraid of it if you didn't know any better. But when you know better, then that fear seems pretty irrational. In our text... Paul addresses a common 
irrational fear that exists in the hearts and minds of many people today. And that's because they simply don't know any better. That fear has to do with the love of God. If you have your Bible open and you're in Romans chapter 8, look at the opening question there in verse 35. Paul says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Have you ever struggled with the thought of whether or not God loves you? Maybe at one point in time you were convinced that he did. But now, for whatever reason, you're just not as sure as you once were. Let me begin this morning by sharing a couple of thoughts with you as to why people may struggle with the concept of the durability of God's love. First of all, it could be because what we know of of love We learn from other people. People who stop loving each other for just about every selfish or faulty reason imaginable. Marriages crumble. Friends fall out. Even parents and children become irreconcilable. I mean, let's admit it this morning, most human love is conditional and it's limited. Fail to meet the conditions and that love is withdrawn. Another reason some have trouble believing in the tenacity of God's love is a sense of their own sin. The bottom line is they just don't think they're lovable. In their minds, they question how God could still love them after what they've done. There are no doubt other reasons this morning why people struggle to lay claim to God's love for them But here's what we need to understand today. The human impediments to love do not affect God one iota. Unlike human love, God's love has no conditions. God's love has no limits. And so if we think that some failed love that we've witnessed or even been a part of or some sin in our past has somehow caused God to just fold his arms and look away, then I want you to understand this morning, we're terribly mistaken. And as we'll see, hopefully this morning with the Lord's help, Paul's words should banish that idea forever. Paul teaches us here that nothing can separate us from God's love. Thus the title this morning, Nothing Will. Let's finish reading 
the closing verses of Romans chapter 8, verse 35 again, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded, Paul wrote, beginning in verse 38. He said, I'm persuaded, absolutely, totally convinced. That neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Lord's help, I want to share some truths with you about God's love that I truly believe can be life-altering. And the first one is this this morning, God's love is proven. Now I want you to jump back up in our text a little bit to verse 32. We didn't read this verse, but let's read it now. Romans chapter 8 and verse 32. In that verse, Paul said, he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall, he not, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Calvary is the ultimate confirmation and proof of God's love for mankind. If you want to know whether or not God loves you, then just look at the cross. When Paul wrote that God did not spare his own son, the thought is that he did not act leniently. That Jesus bore the full brunt of his father's wrath. And listen to me, church, for us. Isaiah put it like this in Isaiah chapter 53, surely he hath borne whose griefs and carried whose sorrows? Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for whose transgressions? Come on, he was bruised for whose iniquities? The chastisement of whose peace was upon him? And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. God showed no mercy to his son on the cross. He allowed them to beat him and to scourge him and to mock him and to spit on him and to disgrace him and to subject him to the worst kind of death known to man at that time. At Calvary, God proved the length and the depth and the height and the breadth of his love. If you want to know something of the height of God's love, 
then I would encourage you today to take an imaginary stroll up that hill called Calvary. And as you do, you come to three crosses that stand there. And I want you to look at that middle cross. And as you look up at the top, I want you to write the height of God's love. And then I want you to kneel. And as you kneel there below the nail-pierced, bleeding feet of the Son of God, take your finger and just write in the sand the depth of God's love. As you make your way back to your feet and move to the left, beside where God's heart beats with love, the love that he has for you and I, the love that bore our griefs and our sorrows, the love that John said God had when he sent his son to die on the cross for our sin. There at the tip of the bruised and bleeding hand of Jesus, write the length of God's love. And once you've finished, move to the other side, the right hand. The hand that blessed the little children. The hand that lifted the head of the woman caught in adultery. The hand that stilled the winds and the waves and their right, the breadth of God's love. You don't want to know how God proved his love? He did it at the cross. There is no greater proof that God loves you today, than the fact that Jesus died for your sin. God's love has been proven. God's love is promised. Paul said that God delivered up his son for us all. Think about that, that little phrase, for us all. It throws its arms around people of all classes. Rich people and poor people, people that would be considered lower class and people that would be considered middle class and people that would be considered upper class. It throws its arms around Jews and Gentiles, men and women, Republicans and Democrats, people of every color. It takes in the doctor and the lawyer and the teacher and the truck driver and the coach and the athlete and the business owner. It includes the married and those who are single and those who find themselves single again. It embraces the moral and the immoral, the good and the bad. That love took in a filthy, foul-mouthed fisherman like Peter. It took in a murderous, bloody-handed blasphemer like Paul. It took in an avowed thief on the cross. It took in a crooked tax collector like Zacchaeus. 
It took in a five-time divorcee in John 4 and a prostitute in Luke 7 and a demon-possessed man in John or excuse me in Mark chapter 5. Listen, God loves us all. And he proved it on the cross. And note the outcome of God's love in verse 33. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. It's a Bible word. It means to be made just or innocent. It was a legal term by which God pardons all the sins of those who believe in Christ for salvation and then treats them as righteous or as being right with Him. I've used this illustration before, but I think it illustrates clearly what justification means. When you read the word justified in the Bible, you might think of it like this, just if I'd never sinned. Justified. Let's say you're caught speeding. And your citation called for a court appearance. And you were speeding so far over the speed limit, the judge fined you $200. And at that moment, I raised my hand now, Your Honor, if the court please, I would like to pay his fine. I would like to pay his penalty. And if the court please, I would like for you to put his transgression on my record so it won't be on his. Let's say the judge agrees to that. At that moment, you're now justified. Just if I'd never transgressed, just if I'd never broken the law. And that will never appear on your history. So if your insurance agent does a check for your traffic record, it's not going to be there. It's been put on my account. If she checks mine, it'll be there. Now, does that mean that, that you weren't guilty of speeding? Absolutely not. You were as guilty as the day is long. You didn't appear there to try and justify yourself. You didn't appear there to try to convince the judge you weren't doing it you were guilty and you know you were guilty it just means that someone else has paid the fine and took the charge for you and now your record is absolutely clean listen to me today that's the ultimate end of all of those who are willing to accept God's love for them and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior. They're justified. They are made right with God. Paul shows us that God's love is proven and God's love is promised. 
But very, very clearly, he shows us this morning that God's love is permanent. He asked a rhetorical question, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And the answer is obvious. No one or no thing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. There will never be a time, listen to me, there will never be a time when God will stop loving you or start loving you less no matter what you do or how you react to what comes your way. Therefore, no adversity can separate us from the love of Christ. In verse 35, Paul counters the false assumption that if we encounter adversity in any form during the course of our walk with God on this earth, then it must mean that that he has withdrawn his love from us. If we go through a hard time, if we face a difficulty, then that must mean that God doesn't love me anymore. And that's the exact argument that that Paul counters in in, in in our text. That assumption misses the point. Listen, God's love is not some kind of magical mist that that, that we spray on to keep pain and trouble away. It's not an adversity repellent. No, God's love is a glue. God's love is what keeps us bonded to him when trouble comes. Well, pastor, I, I'm just not sure Paul understood suffering like I understand suffering. I mean, if, if, if he had suffered like I've suffered, then I don't think he would be so quick to say that God always loves us. Fair enough. But we at least owe it to Paul to look and see what experiences he did have. Would you agree? And he gives us a resume of his misfortunes in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And here's what he says. He lists them in labors, more abundant, in stripes, that would be beatings above measure, in prisons, more frequent, in deaths oft, of the Jews, five times received I 40 stripes, save one. That means on five different occasions, Paul was beaten with 39 stripes. Thrice, or three times, was I beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. And then he said, besides all of those things, he said, I've got that which cometh upon me daily. (laughs) 
the care of all the churches. Now, granted, Paul may not have gone through everything that you've gone through. But would you agree with me this morning that what he did go through was enough to test with was to test him with respect to God's love? And at the end of the day, all of that adversity only served to enhance his appreciation of God's tenacious grip of love. Paul had gone through all of these things, and in the end, he said, nothing can separate me from the love of God. There's no adversity, there's no trial, there's there's no tribulation, there's no persecution that, that, that can convince me that God doesn't love me. Let me ask you today, where did we ever get the idea that God has promised us an easy ride through life? We didn't get it from this book because it's not in there. I've read it from beginning to end a number of times. It's not in there. How many of your parents offered you a problem-free life. Mine didn't. That's because mine couldn't. But what they could do was promise to always be there to help me and to always love me no matter how many times I disappointed them or how many times I walked away from them or how many times as a teenager I refused to return their love, they still loved me. Listen, God's pledge is not that we will never have to endure things like sickness or loss or betrayal or opposition. That's not God's promise. God's promise is that these things will never separate us from his love. There is no adversity that can separate us from the love of Christ. And there is no enemy who can separate us from the love of Christ. Death, Paul said, death can't separate us from God's love. No, no, no. Death, if we're saved, actually ushers us into the very presence of His glory. Life, as we've already talked about, absolutely, it can throw some nasty stuff at us. But nothing of that halts God's love. What about angels? Well, if you noticed in reading this text, all of, all of what Paul offers here are in contrast one to the other. And so the reference here to angels has to be good angels. I mean, think about it. They're not going to separate us from God's love. The Bible says that they're ministering spirits. Now, demonic principalities... And powers that Paul mentions in contrast to angels, 
would love nothing more than to come against us and destroy us. They would love for you and I to be convinced that somehow God doesn't love us anymore and that God has forsaken us and that God has given up on, the, on us. But here's the truth. They can't do that. Things present. Things to come. It's so easy for us to be shaken in our confidence by the reality of present trouble and by the prospect of more trouble to come. But for those who live in the certainty of God's love, in the certainty that that love will never let them go, there's a peace that Paul wrote about in the book of Philippians that passes all understanding. Well, how, how, how can you be this way, so peaceful, so calm, uh, with, 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 with everything together, it seems like, in the, 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 the midst of all that's going on? Because at the end of the day, we realize that God loves us. And that he will always love us. And that he will never stop loving us. It's a peace that passes all understanding. Here's what that means. That means I don't have to understand it. I don't have to be able to wrap my mind around it. I'm just confident that God loves me through it. I don't know what concept of love that you grew up with or that you've seen modeled, but I do know this, it's been imperfect. There's nobody here who has not seen an imperfect model of love. Would you agree with that? Because we're all imperfect. Even the greatest model of love you've ever seen between two human beings is still at best imperfect. Because no one but God loves perfectly in every way. And I wonder this morning, have you accepted God's love for you? Have you accepted it in salvation. I preached about how God proved his love for us by sending his son, Jesus, to suffer and die on the cross in our place for our sin. If you're not saved, listen, God still loves you. God still loves you, but he will not force himself upon you. His free gift of salvation is yours for the taking if you want it. And we'd love to help you receive that gift today.
to receive God's love in salvation is to be assured of his presence in your life both now and forever. But to reject it is to be ultimately cast away from his presence, the presence of his love eternally. Because there is no love of any kind in hell. And by the way, those are the only two destinations. Heaven or hell. For those who are saved, are you living right now in the assurance of that love? I know. Believe me, I know that can be a struggle sometimes. Because you just can't wrap your minds around what's happening to, to you, and, and, and thus you find yourself wrestling back and forth with the reality of God's love because in your mind you're thinking this, if God really loved me, he wouldn't have let this happen. I'm not going to pretend to be God today. I'm not going to stand here and try to tell you that I understand why things happen the way they happen. But here's what I know. Nothing, including the trials of this life, can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Perhaps you're saved. You'd be honest this morning and You'd say, I've really gotten off track in my walk with the Lord. And Pastor, honestly, right now, the path that I'm on, the path that I'm traveling of late, has taken me to places of sin that, that I know have broken God's heart. But I want you to understand this this morning. As heartbroken and disappointed as he may be, he still loves you. And he's willing to forgive you. Would you bow your heads with me this morning?